0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
1: Inside Sources. The bipartisan infrastructure deal is sitting on the president's desk awaiting his pen and signature. Many are praising it as a big win for Democrats. Uh, There are some things that uh, Republicans could certainly get on board with, and it was bipartisan in, in that respect. Uh, The question for me is always, what could we have done better? What went right? What went wrong? What could have been done better? And did we really need to spend that much money during a really high inflationary period? Uh, Jonathan Bidlack joins us from R Street Institute to break down kind of the good, bad, the ugly, and uh, what we could do a little different next time around. Uh, Jonathan, welcome back to the show. You bet. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's start with let's start with the good. We'd like to start positive on this show. Let's uh, what are some of the things from the infrastructure bill that all Americans say, OK, that's a that's a good thing. That's worth it.
2: Well, I mean, look, I think there's I think there's pretty you know widespread agreement across the aisle that, uh, you know, we, we have good infrastructure, right? We, we all acknowledge that we don't want our, our, our bridges, you know, roads and bridges crumbling. But uh, I think where the disagreement comes is, you know, the degree to which uh, maybe they are they are not uh, are already crumbling uh, or are currently crumbling and uh, and whether or not, you know, having the federal government sort of be the uh, be the ones that are, are engaging, uh, whether or not that is the best the best solution. But I think that, you know, at a very high level, I think there is agreement that, you know, we all want to make sure that we have great infrastructure. Yeah.
1: And that is part of the the interstate part of all of that. It, And that uh, that part makes sense. Uh, A lot of those are uh, get down to the local level very quickly in terms of of roads and and infrastructure projects like that. Uh, So as we as we look at maybe the way we approach it, I really want to dig into two components to it. One is is the spending in an inflationary period. But I actually want to start, Jonathan, with this idea of what is the right role of the federal government? Is there a better way to do this with block grants or things to the state? Uh, Give us a take there.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that if you look at how infrastructure is funded in the United States, it's generally speaking done at the state and local level. And that's not to say that, you know, we're not having uh, funds being, you know, sort of passed down or block granted to the states from the federal government. Um, But, you know, generally speaking, I think that's the way that we do want to operate. I mean, you know, we have this problem where different states and, and localities have different needs. Sometimes, sure, if you're talking about a federal interstate, that might be a little bit different. You know, by and large, it's best to let to let that money be as, as local as possible because the knowledge about you know what needs to be done is really contained locally. And so when you separate the money from you know where that knowledge exists, that's when you tend to get a ton of inefficiencies. And so you know my argument in the in the piece that I, I you know wrote this week is, is that you know we should always be focused on trying to go and and, and you know allow the states to have as much control as possible. And and that's not to say that there isn't a lot of room for improvement. I mean one of the big problems that we have is that, you know, the ways in which we direct funds to the states from the federal level tends to be driven by politics or sort of other, you know, parochial concerns and not necessarily b- being driven based on based on the actual needs. So I think there's a lot of room to make those kinds of improvements. And one of the reasons that that I've been a critic of the current package is that I see it kind of doubling down on, on maybe some of the things that, you know, really aren't working with the current system.
1: Yeah. And so often that those dollars from Washington come with a lot. Of- of strings attached, uh, a lot of different requirements that you don't have at the, at the local level. We've had a number of governors here in the state of Utah who all kind of sing the same song in terms of, hey, get, we could take half as much and do twice as much <laughs> in terms of real you know, steel and concrete in the ground because it's quicker, it's easier, uh, different regulatory requirements. Uh, is that what we're seeing across the country?
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, look, I mean, this is a a problem that exists in a whole host of other areas. I mean, you know, talk to anyone that deals with education funding, for example, and they're going to tell you the exact same thing, right? You have all of these sort of uh, strings and mandates that come from Washington that may or may not be applicable to their individualized, you know, locality, and so um, that's that's a big part of the challenge. And again, that's not to say that there aren't certain things where there is isn't a federal role. I mean, if we're talking, you know, airplanes, for example, maybe there is a little bit of a, a yeah. federal role. But but you know, by and large, again, the principle should be to keep the money as local as possible. Yeah.
1: So let's get to that uh, amount of the infrastructure bill, the 1.2. Uh, trillion dollars. uh, And I know you have some thoughts in terms of, should we be doing this now in the middle of a a big uh, spike in terms of inflation?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the timing is Frustrating to say the least, and I, I think that you know there's sort of a there's sort of two questions at play here. One is the economics of the matter, and the other is the politics of the matter. And I think that you know Democrats, obviously, given what happened in, in Virginia and, uh, and and nearly happened in New Jersey, I think that there's this fear that you know an inability to get things done at the federal level over the last year, while they've controlled you know both houses of Congress and the presidency. Uh, has sort of been hurting them in this in this you know in the political context, and so there's been maybe a little bit more motivation now to to push through this package that had been previously languishing. Um, I think the challenge with that is that you know we obviously there's been a lot of discussion about about recent inflation um i do think to some degree it's uh, it's been unfairly blamed on the current administration i mean a whole yeah. host of spending you know occurred occurred in the last year of the right. trump administration with respect to covid and so uh you know all of that sort of uh you know funding basically is kind of out there and and you know no surprise that that prices are going up um and but i do think that the perception is going to be that you know when you start to spend like this or continue to spend like this when you're already in an environment with huge deficits, where you're already in an environment where there's been massive spending, you know, for for other reasons, um, and now and now you're you know dealing with with inflation, however transitory or permanent that may be um, it's not really a good look. And so I think that, you know, Democrats run the risk of putting themselves in a situation where sure they can go back to their districts and say that we brought home the bacon next year, but if the economy is not doing well and they're continuing to deal with inflation and, and, you know, a, a, an economic environment that, uh, uh, people are not happy with that, they, they will likely pay a political cost for that. Um, so, yeah. you know, time will tell.
1: Yeah. Final question for you real quick. Um, as you look at that and kind of projecting into the the midterms in terms of that uh, spending, what it does to inflation. And I totally agree. Uh, the one thing that unites both parties is when they're in power, spending is OK. There's sort of a Mardi Gras, uh, whatever your principles may be. Uh, but the other question I think that's going to come up across the country is, you know, am I here in Utah? Am I paying? Am I paying for really ineffective projects in New Jersey or New York or California? Uh, how is that playing in?
2: Yeah, I do think I do think that's right. I mean, you know, people hear about examples of, of, of waste all the time. And, you know, I mean, look, I mean, government struggles. I mean, they don't you know, there aren't the same kind of price mechanisms that exist in the private sector. If you if you go and you have a business and you're producing a terrible product, you lose a bunch of money and you go out of business. But that doesn't happen in the context of the federal government. And so, you know, that's why you see a lot of these examples of, of inefficiency all the time. And I think that, you know, yes. I mean, when you when you realize that you're paying federal tax tax dollars to theoretically benefit the country, and, and it's potentially being wasted on on projects in various locations that, uh, you know, even if they were being done sort of in a, in the right way, uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily be be benefiting you. Um, I think that that's, that has a lot of problems for voters, and especially in times when people have been struggling themselves and they're asking themselves – you know, why am I paying all these tax dollars for projects that, that you know, may not ultimately be improving my bottom line?
1: Yeah, great insight as always. Jonathan Bidlak, he's the director of the Governance Program at the R Street Institute. Jonathan, thanks for coming back with us today. You bet. Thanks again. All right. Great insight. There's so much to think about in terms of that spending. Lawmakers have approved new redistricting maps, of course, but uh, not everyone is also excited about it. Process matters. People's uh, perceptions matter. So we'll discuss the whole thing and find out where we land, how this we got to this point, and more importantly, what comes next. So stay with us right here on KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up.